Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. And welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And the reason why we're talking about thongs today is uh, because a listener wrote in genuinely curious about the origin of thong underwear, the most controversial piece of clothing one can have in their chest of drawers, Uh huh. I would argue. And easily flicked at someone like a rubber band. Yeah. And also, let's not forget uh, the most famous, well, in my mind at least, Sex tip from Cosmopolitan magazine, which was to use your thong as a scrunchie. <laughs> Everything is wrong with that. <laughs> yes. Hopefully, I mean, I'm assuming it's a, it's a clean one straight from the, the dryer. Um, and also because of this podcast, a certain song by a certain former brief pop star named Cisco mm-hmm. has been stuck in my head. Uh, yeah. Because when I was in high school, early high school, the thong song came out. Was it that long? I, I remember it from freshman year of college. I think it, it was, was the year 2000. In the year 2000, there was a thong song. <laughs> um, and I, I remember jamming out to that and also being like, ah, oh, this is gross. Why am I singing? <laughs> Why am I singing this? this? Thongs are so infectious. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. just get up in there, don't they? <laughs> Uh, yes. <laughs> but long before Cisco, people had been wearing thongs. Uh, the earliest thongs, this is, comes from The Origin of Everyday Things, a little mm-hmm. book. Uh, and the earliest thongs were made of leather. Which has to be more uncomfortable than cotton, right? Depending Perhaps, on how yeah. they were made, I guess. Uh, right, and uh, African tribes and Egyptians were among the first thong wearers, which makes complete sense because they were in warm climates. Right. And they needed some some breathing room. But, I mean, they obviously did not think about their leather loincloth thongs the way we think of thongs today, which are exactly. provocative, they're lingerie, they're used to prevent visible panty lines. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Egyptians were worried about panty lines. I think they were just like, it's hot. It was utility, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But I just want to point out, uh, one one thong fan was King Tut. More than a 100 thong-type garments were found in his tomb. Hey, what are you going to wear in the afterlife? Uh, you've got to have a change of underwear, <laughs> yes. even in the afterlife. Absolutely. Uh, African tribes and Egyptians were certainly not the only ones. Greeks and Japanese people wore them also. The Japanese thong style, now correct me, is it... Fundoshi or Fundoshi? I think it would be Fundoshi. Fundoshi uh, was originally the only type of undergarment in Japan and later became associated with warriors like samurais and sumo wrestlers. And if you're into the sumo wrestler scene, they still wear traditional garments like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and according to Elizabeth Ewing's 1976 book, Underwear, A History, mm-hmm. uh, there's a Roman mosaic from 480 that shows several women also wearing what looks like bikinis or briefs. So it's kind of funny that that really thongs, as we would think of them, started out more as a dude thing mm-hmm. before it became more common for women. But Westerners and Europeans were just really turned off by this whole loincloth idea. Yeah. It, it really offended our uh, stodgy sensibilities. But you know what didn't offend people? No. Crotchless underwear. 
This is very true. Instead of bearing our buttocks, which according to Professor Otto Steinmeier from the University of Malaya near Kuala Lumpur, who studied loincloths in Borneo, uh, he said that, uh, that Westerners really hated loincloths because of a secret homophobic fear of the bare buttocks. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, but we're a little squeamish, Westerners. Pretty squeamish about that, uh, but not squeamish, like you said, Caroline, about this uh, <laughs> crotchless underwear. Right, because we didn't always have the idea in our heads that everything needed to be covered up and that panty lines needed to be prevented and things like that. Once upon a time in Victorian England, people wore a lot of clothes. Uh, they had crinoline and petticoats and all this stuff. And it was very hard. If you've ever worn a wedding dress or a prom dress and needed to go to the I've bathroom. Worn so many of both of those. So many. You are the 27 dresses, girl. Yes. Um, it's, it's hard to go to the bathroom. You, you need help. Mm-hmm. And so to make it easier to pop a squat, uh, Victorian ladies would wear uh, bloomers that were kind of baggy, mm-hmm. and um, they didn't have anything covering the crotch. So, you know, it served two purposes, uh, well, maybe three if we get technical. One, making it easier to go to the bathroom. Two, it prevented uh, things from getting too... Um, it, it kept airflow going. Yes, breathable. Right, and three, well, uh, they didn't take them off to go to bed, so it made some other things very easy, too like sex. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> Provides sexual access. Uh, it it kind of reminds me of uh, back in the day when they had, uh, this is more of like an 80s thing. Mm-hmm. I remember leotards that had the snap crotches. Ooh. Yeah. I've worn, um, I don't want to get too personal. I don't, I mean, a lot of you just don't know me, but I have worn Spanx. And if anyone's ever worn Spanx, dot, dot, dot. Oh, do they have a... Uh, no crush. Yeah. Oh, I didn't. I had no idea. You took away my dot dot dot. I had to finish that. <laughs> uh, but I would like to uh, briefly touch on the etymology of g-string. This is coming from uh, William Sapphire, and it goes back far, far earlier than a lot of you might assume. He found the earliest instance of g-string, and it was spelled G-E-E string, all one word, uh, mentioned in the book Western Wilds and the Men Who Redeemed Them by John H. Beadle in 1877. Hmm. And uh, it was used to describe a loincloth worn by some American Indians and some American settlers who did not have that latent homophobic fear of their buttocks. <laughs> Good for them. Um, now, after you've rudely interrupted me talking about my Victorian history. I uh, no, I mean, it's, it's interesting, the G-string. Because, well, I just wonder, do you think that's what carried through to the current G-string? Or do you think there's a different reason that we call it a G-string? Do you think it's all... I guess it all comes from the same place. Well, according to that uh, the New York Times article that William Sapphire wrote looking at uh, the G-string, he seemed to think that it goes all the way back yeah. there. There's a... There's yeah. a basic continuum. Interesting. I would like to point out that uh, just how common these crotchless bloomers were, and that is that Queen Victoria had monogrammed crotchless bloomers, and apparently they were huge because she herself was not petite. But in 2008, a pair of her, I'm going to say crotchless again, a pair of her crotchless bloomers went for more than 9,000 pounds at auction. Crotchless and monogrammed. Very fancy. Yes. Victoria, talk about Victoria's secret. Um, 
Now, moving on, Edwardian ladies wore longer pantaloons slash bloomers with strings tied at the waist and knees, and they had loose crotches and were made of cotton, so they were very loose and breathable. Uh, didn't didn't constrict you in any way. And moving even further forward into the 1920s and 30s, undies in silk voile or very fine cotton had crotches low enough not to get caught between your buttocks or labia, so no one in the roaring 20s uh, was worried about camel toe. In the 1940s, underwear starts to get a little more close-fitting, as clothes do. The the female silhouette starts to... I'm making hourglass shapes with my hands mm-hmm. right now. Uh, and then in 1940, or sorry, in 1939, New York Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia requested that the city's exotic dancers dress in a more appropriate manner. And so they then, and this is 1939, they adopted the thong uh, as their as their more acceptable stage garb. Yep. Because they were still showing a lot, mm-hmm. but not too much. And that was one thing that I wasn't able to find was the the link between exotic dancing and stripping and uh, and thongs mm-hmm. in the general public and sort of how it grew out of that. Because a lot of times mm-hmm. there's that how nature. it made the leap. Yeah, because that's the uh, the explanation for it. Like it started out thongs for women, at least not the loincloths for men. Thongs for women started out in. Uh, and strip joints. Well, um, there was a little bit written about how the thong was adopted by, and I don't know if this has anything to do with its popularity now, but how it was adopted by Brazilian dancers True. for their festivals. You know, um, you see in like carnival, you see pictures of these women who are just, you know, just gorgeously all dolled up with feathers and glitter and they're wearing like next to nothing basically mm-hmm. and, and they wear Thong. They tend to wear thongs. Don't they refer to them as tanga? Tanga. A tanga. And um, fashion history would attribute the modern thong to Rudy Gernreich, who was a fashion designer who introduced a thong as we know it today in 1974. And I believe this is also attributed to the origin of everyday things. And he was an Austrian fashion designer, very edgy, <laughs> who invented the monokini, which is a topless bikini, which is basically Rudy. Underwear. You, just, you, just, you reinvented <laughs> underwear. You're brilliant. He clearly was just like, how else can we get women on the beach not wearing much? Oh, no, those aren't. That's not underwear. That's a monokini. <laughs> And that's the closest I can get to an Austrian that's accent. Not, uh, uh, it's not at all. Anyway, <laughs> well, I mean, we, other people who popularized the thong for better or worse are Britney Spears, who I think gets blamed for everything in society. Brit. Britney Spears. There's a picture of her horrifically wearing um, a thong under leather chaps. Yes. I'll never. You can't unsee something. But it is not just Britney Spears. Uh, Scully. Jillian Anderson was seen on the red carpet. If you Google it, there's a there's an image of her. She wearing she's wearing this low backed dress with a uh, the V, aka whale tail, <laughs> sticking out prominently. Like it was obviously part of. The but it's dress like halfway design. up her back. I mean, yeah, her dress is low cut, but I mean, I I felt on my back. I was like, okay, where is her thong? Where is my le-? no? My underwear is way below that. So I think she pulled that up just for show. <laughs> Um, and, uh, Victoria's Secret also had its first 
fashion show in 1995, which also helped launch the thong into prime time because suddenly the uh, undergarment fashion shows weren't anything new, but they were usually private and an all-female affair. But with the Victoria's Secret fashion show, anybody could check out the, the ladies strutting their stuff in thong underwear. And whether that is appropriate, I am not one to say. There are arguments over feminism and thongs, yes. which are interesting. I don't think... There is an argument about, you know, why are you wearing certain types of underwear? Yeah. Is it to attract a man and be more sexually attractive, or is it to make yourself feel better, etc.? Well, especially with the... Um, with the rise of the thong came the the lowering of the waistline. So we had these super and the rise low- of muffin top. Yes, we had these super low rise jeans and your and your thong that went with it. And the I don't know. I guess trendy among certain groups, trendy thing to do was to to show flash your thong. And I could see how something like that might not sit that well with feminist ethics. Writer Natasha Stagg uh, posits that it's okay for a feminist to wear a thong, but is it okay for a thong to be representative of feminism, and can a thong be representative of anti-feminism? Well, first of all, of course it's okay for a feminist to wear a thong, because feminism is all about choice, so you should be able to wear boy shorts, a G-string, a C-string even, um, which I did not know existed. No. There are no strings, folks. It's It's just... just it's, it's kind of like a large maxi pad. Exactly. That's exactly what I was that's, about to say. That's exactly what it looks like. Um, but this whole issue of uh, of whether we need underwear to represent feminism, it seems also far-reaching. Right. Zoe Williams of The Guardian in 2007 wrote that, in short, just because you're a woman and something makes you feel good, that doesn't necessarily add up to feminism. So, yeah, I guess she was, she had a big column about undergarments and girdles and spanks and things like that that suck you in and make you look better. And people who say that you're not a feminist if you wear certain types of undergarments to change your appearance. Well, there is the whole thing of, uh, that, that Stag points out about how, uh, we feel the need to hide our panty lines by creating the illusion of going underwear less. So we're wearing Underwear to make it look like we're not wearing underwear. And is it all that comfortable? And why are we even doing that? What? Should panty lines be such a big deal? Well, I mean, I, th- I think that argument is kind of silly. Just because when I wear a thong because I'm wearing nice pants to work or something, it's not because I'm trying. I'm, I'm not trying to look like I'm not wearing underwear. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to to make you not look at my butt and see panty lines and be like, there is her underwear. I just, you know, stop looking at my butt anyway. Jeez. Uh, Well, Jennifer Baumgartner and Amy Richards in an essay, Feminism and Femininity, or How We Learn to Stop Worrying and Love the Thong, wrote that uh, they posited that the thong is symbolic of young people's relationship to feminism, meaning that the relationship is often personal, okay, invisible, sure, and uncomfortable. Okay, yeah, because feminism we've talked about before on the podcast. Feminism is a is a tricky um, term for some people to self-identify mm-hmm. with because of all the baggage that might come with it. Correct. And and perceptions of of or fear of perceptions from other people. 
right. of what saying that you're a feminist will make you look like to other people, maybe in the way that a visible panty line <laughs> or a, a whale tail uh, might make you... I might spur assumptions from other people. But again, it's, I, I just wonder when I'm reading analysis like this, if we aren't putting too much weight onto clothing. I think we, I think we are. Mm-hmm. I mean, in my opinion, I think it's a, f- a feminism argument related to thongs is sort of silly. I understand how you can look at a woman, like let's say you're in a club or I don't know, on the street even, and, you, and a woman's underwear is purposely hanging out to mm-hmm. look provocative. I mean, I can see how maybe there's an argument about, like, put your underwear back in your pants and respect yourself. But, right. you know, if she wants to wear her underwear out and, you know, she's not around small children, whatever. Uh, I have mentioned whale tail a number of times now um, and would like to offer this little little trivia nugget for you, Caroline. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is reported on MSNBC. In 2005, the American Dialectical Society voted. They did vote for truthiness that year truthiness. as the word of the year. <laughs> but whale tail was the most creative, beating out narrowly muffin top. <gasps> oh. Yeah. But it's sort of funny that whale tail won most creative word of the year in 2005 since in 2004... The New York Times declared the thong passe. I can I just I want uh, okay look, I think fashion discussions are ridiculous. I think I'm sorry if I offend someone who is really into fashion, but I think the way people talk about clothing, especially insiders, mm-hmm. if you call pants a pant, if you call jeans a jean, I. I just think it's ridiculous. And so the this 2004 New York Times article is hysterical to me because they take this discussion of the thong so seriously. Mm-hmm. Well, because I, I, no one really, from the, the articles that we read, no one really wanted to get on board with the thong. Right. No one was like, hey, you know what's really cool <laughs> these days? Thongs. Right. So New York Times, just from the tone uh, of the article, already seems to think that thongs are a touch trashy, and they quote Adam Lips, and this is in 2004. He's the founder of the lingerie line, Adam and Eve, and he says, women got tired of it, and they got sick and tired of seeing string hanging out the top of every celebrity's jeans. It's just gross. I think it went too far over the edge, and enough is enough. Which is <laughs> He gets so angry. I know, so much anger directed at one piece of cotton and elastic. It's incredible. Right. I, and then uh, let's, let's not leave out Cosmo from this discussion. They joined the dialogue in uh, in 2010, a couple years later. They declare the thong dead. And they say that with the invention of NVPLs, which is, I guess, non-visible panty line mm-hmm. underwear, there's no need for thongs. Stop sticking string up your butt when you can wear laser-cut underwear, which I have a pair, and they are Fantastic. And they are actually laser cut boy shorts, which all of these articles went crazy over boy shorts. People loved the boy short. Yeah, they thought it was a great uh, alternative to the thong because it didn't ride up and give you a perma wedgie. And um, and I think that people were more comfortable with it because it didn't have the same sexual implications as a thong did. For right. instance, going back to that epic New York Times article, <laughs> they wrote, the thong underpant became a cultural touchstone, the very symbol of tease. And... Perhaps because of that, that's one reason why uh, the sale of thongs to tweens, uh, which just skyrocketed in the uh, early and mid-2000s, 
was very concerning for parents. Right. I would like to point out that according to, was it Time Magazine? Yes. Um, sales of thongs to tweens have quadrupled since 2000 to 1.6 million, according to NB, NPD Fashion World. That's a lot of underwear. Mm-hmm. A lot of stringy, stringy small underwear to young girls. And I don't know how many of you have seen the YouTube clip about this store. I cannot remember what city it's in. But there was a tween and teen store selling crotchless panties geared towards young girls. Yeah, and there was, I think it was a couple of years ago, Abercrombie and Fitch had to pull um, a line of tween-targeted underwear. I believe there were thongs um, that had very provocative sayings on them because it was just it, it it crossed it crossed the line and i remember sites like jezebel and other uh feminist blogs um raising a big stink and they pulled it um consumer consumer outrage can can actually make things happen sometimes uh but the boy short seems like it's the new it's the new thong and after Cosmopolitan published that 2010 article declaring the thong dead, uh, over at Salon, Sarah Heppola wrote sort of a, um, an homage to the thong and also asking men if they would miss that kind of underwear if they really thought it was that super sexy. And this was my favorite quote from uh, one of the mm-hmm. men who all of them request to remain anonymous, right. which is sort of funny. Uh, all of the men that she interviewed, this one guy said, to me, the thong is like fenugreek. It's a particular spice, a good one, but only appropriate at points and rarely on its own and never meant to dominate a dish. And so Heppelis says that the thong became boring and played out, which reminded me of the flopper episode <laughs> where apparently yeah. too many people People were doing too much petting in the back of cars that one flapper so that it was just ugh, over with. But similarly, I mean, you know, that that flapper was like petting is, is being played out and jazz isn't going to be cool here pretty soon. And she was very wrong on both counts because people are still making out and listening to jazz. <laughs> so it's interesting that all these people are declaring the thong dead because... They're still sold. Well, obviously, yeah, they still make up a, a decent percentage of the undergarment sales because there is, you know, they do have a utilitarian purpose, but we're not seeing them purposefully exposed. Right. Thank the God, the whale tail. The whale tail, I think, has has certainly uh, sunk. Oh, very See, good. There we go. And uh, a lot of people would argue there is good reason for that. There mm-hmm. is a hygiene argument for sure. A lot of people are concerned about a tiny piece of string uh, in your crotch causing infections. And while um, there's no definite link, like definite proven link between um, infections and wearing stringy underwear, they, they say that there there are issues. Yeah, Columbia University's Go Ask Alice advice column said that anecdotally gynecologists have reported an increasing number of thongs wearers suffering from recurrent UTIs and vaginal infections because they think that the, the elastic or the cotton or the lycra in your gluteal folds, which was a phrase that I learned, uh, which is a fancy scientific way of saying your crack, um, that it can serve as a, a conduit for bacteria. Yeah, a lot of people used the subway car uh, metaphor 
for the thong, picking up. It, it, I mean, it's close. It's a close-fitting strip of fabric, mm-hmm. and it can easily pick up fecal matter and bacteria from the anus and get, you know, commute. It's commuting. Mm-hmm. It's on the, it's on the subway car. Here it comes. Uh, and if the thong moves, carry it toward the vagina and urinary tract. Right. Uh, and it can also cause microabrasions or cracks in the skin, which can leave those delicate tissues more susceptible to infection. But again, um, WebMD points out that there still isn't any scientific proof that there is a connection between UTI contraction and wearing thongs. Well, the patient's encyclopedia, uh, get ready, of urinary tract infection, sexual cystitis, and interstitial cystitis, it's quite a title, uh, recommends that you be user-friendly and remove your underwear when you are at home. So let get a breeze, air things out, and they want you to be kind to your perineum. They say keep air flowing around it at all times. And practice good hygiene. Yeah, exactly. Take a shower, you slob. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the, the UTI thong connection is not, not proven. Right. Um, but, you know, as always. Change your underwear every day. Take care of stuff down there. Yeah. So I think that the, you know, the thong has seen its day, I would say. And it, now it seems like we are, we're in the, the time of the boy short. Right. And Helen Fisher, an anthropologist um, who has also done a ton of research on the the science of attraction and love, says that uh, it makes a lot of sense that the boy short is more popular because, in a way, keeping things more covered can be more erotic and alluring because it leaves more to the imagination. But by the time you're in your underwear in front of someone, I mean... Is it going to stay on for very long? Does it matter what under your underwear you're wearing? Well, that's a question that we can pose to listeners. Yeah. Because I certainly don't know. <laughs> I would like to know from people. And uh, if, if yeah, I mean, does it, does it matter? Are we putting too much weight onto these very small pieces of cloth that can get very expensive? Yeah, they can. Mm-hmm. For how small they are? Yeah. Silly. So let us know what you think. Experiences with thongs, with the boy shorts, with the whale tails, all of it. Mm-hmm. Send us your thoughts. Mom stuff at howstuffworks.com. And I have an email here in response to our podcast on Going Gray. And this is from Nadine, who is living in Taiwan and studying Mandarin Chinese. Very cool, Nadine. Um, she said, I was reminded of my history teacher from high school. He was young and full and had a full head of gray hair. And I thought that it was so strange. I've always associated gray hair with really old people. I asked him why he had gray hair, and he took it really well. He told me, in the words of King Solomon, gray hair is a crown of glory. You get it by having a righteous life, and that probably means you have a lot of wisdom. Maybe if people see your gray hair, meaning mine, they'll think you're very <laughs> wise and live a good life. I hope that makes you feel better about the gray hairs that you find. Thank you. I will imagine myself a king. <laughs> Excellent. This email is from Mariah. It's about our sex ed series or set. Um, she says, I am a junior in high school, and every year since sixth grade, we have had a unit on sexuality and HIV AIDS. These units lasted between one and three weeks, depending on what grade you're in. Obviously, the unit in high school was the longest and most comprehensive, going over every STD in great detail. We were taught back in sixth grade how to use a condom and how pregnancy and STDs work. 
In fact, abstinence was rarely discussed. The only time it was mentioned was when, at the end of the unit, the teacher would say that abstinence was the only way to fully prevent pregnancy and disease. I didn't realize this was not the case for all schools. Now, the interesting thing is, our high school has one of the highest rates of teen pregnancy in the United States. There's usually at least five girls at any given time who are pregnant, which is really saying something, considering that this is a pretty small town. I thought this would be something you guys would be interested in hearing. Yeah, I didn't um, have a chance to get back to her and ask her which small town it is, but um, yeah. Interesting. So again, if you have thoughts to send our way, you can email us at momstuff at howstuffworks.com, or you can head over to our page on the Facebook, or you can hit us up on Twitter, at momstuffpodcast. And you can also check out what we're doing during the week over at the blog at Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?